This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to a new emergency episode of the New Slant Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. With me, as he is every week, finally, with some certainty about who will be coaching the Philadelphia 76ers next season, whenever it starts, my buddy, my pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? Doing well. A little excitement right now, I guess you could say, but we'll get into that. Yeah, so obviously recording this, I want to say like an hour, maybe, maybe an hour and a half after uh, it was initially reported and then I personally was able to confirm that Doc Rivers will be the next head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. As we sort of discussed in the pod earlier this week, all of this came together you know, faster than I probably could have imagined Doc gets let go, and my understanding of this is that Elton personally reached out to uh, Doc and his agent. They spoke, uh, I believe that would have been, we'll call it Monday night they would have spoken. Uh, And then Wednesday, Doc Rivers flew in, had meetings with uh, not just Elton Brand, but Joshua Harris, David Blitzer, the ownership group. I believe there was some reporting that suggested they watched game one of the finals together. And now Thursday evening, just a few days later, after we were told at various points that, hey, maybe they're close to a deal with Ty Lue. Hey, it's Mike D'Antoni's job to lose. Well, now it's Doc Rivers' job. So I, I guess, are, are you are you surprised at how quickly this came together, Seamus? And I guess what's your overall uh, feeling right now after, you know, knowing that we've already discussed Doc a little bit previously? I'm surprised at uh, Doc's patience to not only spend three hours with Joshua Harris, but to actually watch <laughs> an entire basketball game for that. Um, obviously, the Sixers ownership group, my thoughts on them are well known. They are certainly a reactionary bunch. So I'd imagine that a, a good night together between Doc and Josh and whomever else was there, uh, you know, basically said what they needed to say for the team. And they were like, all right, dude, let's just get this deal done right now. You know, let's get it out before the weekend, get going, do a press conference next week, a virtual one, whatever. So and and that line of thinking, it, it didn't necessarily surprise me. Uh, but the way that the leading candidates seemed to jump continuously over the last week or two kind of just signals what we all knew that there is uh, certainly a level of uh, instability in this front office. Definitely a lot of voices, something that hasn't been addressed in terms of, 
you know, who the head decision maker is going to be in the front office, why certain people are still there that shouldn't be, the Colangelo cronies, Elton himself, and then obviously the ownership group uh, certainly has a history of meddling in the affairs of uh, personnel and, and team affairs beyond just the business side of basketball. So I'm assuming that the talk about Ty lose the guy, they're going to get a tie. He's about to sign a contract. He's about to be announced. No, it's MDA's job to lose. I think that speaks to uh, the variety of unfortunate voices that are in the Sixers organization currently that there are, you know, the cliche of too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, so that is where we're seeing those disparate ideas of who they were hiring. But it seems that uh, once Harris uh, figured that Doc was his guy, it was pretty quickly over after that. Right. And and we can see from the way this coaching search played out, Seamus, that the, the name recognition and the ability to sell this matters, right? Like Doc becomes, I would say he's the biggest name of the guys that were on the coaching market. And that's no sure. disrespect to uh, Ty Lu or to Mike D'Antoni, who are big names in their own right. But Doc becomes available. And, you know, it's not just that Doc Rivers is a big name to people at home and, or certainly to you and I, but he does have a name that carries weight around the league. Like, And there's been some discussion reporting on this he's the sort of guy that when you know they're the clippers were a road team or even when they're at home and there are teams visiting that you know maybe the sixers are only in la once a year that there are guys going up just to say hello to doc and shoot the breeze even guys that have never played for him before like he's a very popular guy he's a very well-known guy he's certainly been around the league for a long time as a player first and then as a, a long tenured coach now. So the sales part of this can never be understated with this ownership group. That's something to always keep in mind. But I do think, and I, I said this in the podcast we recorded earlier this week, Seamus, like there was not going to be a quote unquote wrong choice. And I think if you were asking me, what is the hire they could make? that doesn't upset or doesn't risk upsetting people on the team, more specifically Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I think this was probably the best one from that perspective. Doc has worked with like a ton of guys with a ton of different skill sets, including ones that are applicable to this situation. We've talked about it a little bit. The the multifaceted big man skills of Kevin Garnett, You've got Blake Griffin, who was, you know, he's built like Ben Simmons is. Ben has not played like Blake Griffin at the NBA level, but certainly there are things that Doc can translate from coaching Blake to coaching Ben in a lot of respects. He coached Rajon Rondo, a, a point guard who wouldn't or couldn't shoot for long stretches of his career that, you know, he turned into a multi-time all-star under Doc Rivers. DeAndre Jordan, a rim-running big man. He, Joel Embiid will never be the high flyer that DeAndre Jordan is. But these are all players that Doc has been able to you know, bring the best out of. And then you think of all the egos he's had to manage, the, the types of different people that he's had working underneath him, and his general philosophy about leading and about coaching, which is that you know, there isn't a, a one-size fits all approach to coaching guys and you know understanding 
that it's going to take something different to get through to Joel Embiid versus Ben Simmons versus Tobias Harris and so on down the line. Like, I do think there are a lot of things that are attractive. Setting aside like the the glitz and the glam and all that, there are a lot of reasons for Sixers fans to be excited about this move. The one thing that was a worry of me initially as we were talking over the last several days about Doc potentially coming to the Sixers is that he obviously, as you said, is has a lot of name recognition and with that comes a lot of sway within the organization. So my fear was that he was going to end up in a president of basketball operations like role and maybe have, I don't know if the final say on team personnel and team decision making roster decisions, but at least a very, very important voice in those uh, decisions, whether it's Elton or him or, you know, the Colangelo freaks or whoever. Uh, But as you reported, you were the first on it. Uh, Doc will just be the head coach, not someone who has a specific front office role. And I think that should be welcoming the Sixers fan. Obviously, it's kind of a rearranging deck chairs on a Titanic type thing where the ownership is still a mess. The front office is still a mess. The people who have put the Sixers into their current predicament are still in charge. So with that comes the caveat that not a lot is necessarily going to change about the direction of this franchise in a grander sense. But from a pure on-court perspective, from the way Doc Rivers carries himself carries himself to the way he connects with players, can maximize talent amongst not just stars, but role players as well, I think you'd have to consider this a win. Yeah, and so I should say with the, the front office stuff, Doc Rivers, just like any other big-name coach that's out there that would get hired into a situation like this, he's going to be talking with Elton Brand constantly, right? Like, when they head into a trade deadline or an offseason, well, we're about to be heading into draft, free agency, so on and so forth, coming up here. Obviously, Doc Rivers is going to talk with Elton Brand, and obviously his opinions on basketball what he thinks the team needs who he thinks he can work with who he doesn't think he can work with all of that is certainly going to play a part in you know how this team is constructed and how it changes moving forward I don't think people should read my reporting as well Doc is just totally left out of the decision making but I I thought it was very important to specify that you know a guy who at his last stop was brought there as the like head of basketball operations essentially when they traded uh, a pick to Boston to get him and eventually you know stepped down from that title but still had a lot of power in LA it was a, a very important thing to figure out if he was going to be in a like an actual position of power or not so I, I still think he's going to have his say but You know, I think the takeaway here is that, number one, they obviously were very excited and uh, passionate about closing this deal with Doc for this to all get done within, you know, four days or so. But it it certainly seems like we're moving forward with Elton Brand being Philadelphia's lead decision maker, for better or worse. So we're going to have to see how that shakes out. But they that's those are the biggest question marks now. It's like, how does the the front office situation sort itself out. You want to take a break for some ads? 
yeah, let's talk about our sponsors real quick, and we'll be right back to talk about uh, the rest of the pros and cons of this hire. So you guys have counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. A lot of dining rooms may still be closed, but they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. I know I've told you guys this before, but DoorDash has been great for me throughout the, the pandemic times. The I don't even know what to call this anymore. We're not in lockdown. It's not quite quarantine, but as we're living through this COVID-19 induced nightmare, DoorDash has been a way for me to be able to support local businesses, to go to, to or eat food from restaurants that are have their dining rooms closed that I'm not able to go to that I really miss as everything in our lives is being screwed up. And sometimes when I'm feeling lazy, I can still go to chain restaurants, national restaurants, you know, the, the Chipotle's of the world, the Wendy's. I've gotten a few uh, Popeye spicy chicken sandwiches over the last six months, probably a few too many uh, for my waistline, but you know, it is what it is. And, and DoorDash has made it really easy. You choose what you want to eat, your food's left safely outside your door with contactless delivery, contactless delivery drop-off setting. And I will tell you, I have never had a single issue with that. They send texts, they send calls, they'll buzz your building, and they put it exactly where you asked for. And, you know, with everyone, you know, obviously worried about coronavirus and getting sick and all that stuff they've done an excellent job of all that so right now our listeners can get five dollars off and zero delivery fees on their first order of fifteen dollars or more when you download the doordash app and enter code blue wire that's five dollars off zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the doordash app in the app store and enter code blue wire don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. So Seamus, I think you had you know something on your mind. You always have something on your mind as it pertains to the for the better or for worse dynamic, <laughs> the front office dynamic and ownership and what have you. So uh, I guess before we move on to like the on-court X's and O's, all that stuff, is there anything you have left on uh, the shenanigans up top? Two, one, I find it astounding that Doc Rivers has never coached Elton Brand in his career. Pretty amazing, honestly. Like a four that should be playing the five late in his career, a guy who was like the crap broken down big man. He feels like right in the Doc Rivers wheelhouse. I can't believe he didn't play on like the 20, uh, like 14 Celtics or something. Well, he was out of oh, there, he's out of there by 2014. Now, yeah. So what so what year did he go to LA? 2013? I believe it was 2013-14 was his they first did, year in LA. They were still there in 2012. And that was when obviously full uncut gem season where we played them, <laughs> where the Sixers played them, and Bran was starting for the Sixers. So the, yeah, we have more uncut gems continuity here too. Connecting on everything. Yeah, man. I get to watch that movie again and have extreme anxiety all throughout it that's i need to go back and look at the doc rivers cuts and besides the does not make you want to fucking step on elton brand's fucking neck part <laughs> uh but yeah even if he was on the clippers at some point he seemed like a guy who late i mean i know elton played for the mavs uh and then the hawks and then by you know in defiance of god found his way back to the sixers uh but I thought that was just kind of a funny caveat. It seemed like someone who was a player who was destined for a coach late in his career. And look how things turned out. 
the the last part, and this is on a more serious note, is that Jason Dumas. Apologies if I'm not pronouncing his last name right. Kyle, do you know how to pronounce that? Dumas. Uh. I think it's Dumas. I don't know him and I've never actually like met him personally, no. so I can't say but I yeah, Jason Jason is a reporter, I believe, out in he's from Philly, but I believe he's, he's in the Bay. In yeah, Bay Area, San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So he tweeted today, uh, I guess a little after the Doc Rivers hire. Uh, at five five forty one on Thursday night is if Doc Rivers didn't become available, Mike D'Antoni was going to be the Sixers' next coach. Ownership didn't want Ty Lue, but Elton Brand didn't want Mike D'Antoni. There's been many different opinions th- throughout this search. He spelled throughout with two different words, and it threw me off. Common so ground. So before you Doc go Rivers. too before you go too deep down this rabbit hole, I will say I asked around about all this and. At least on the team side of things, there were some pretty firm denials that that was reality. Obviously, that's going to sure. Be, I mean, I think it's worth the, considering that the reports out there, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, so the the stance from some people I talked to was that uh, both D'Antoni and Ty Lue were, you know, pretty highly regarded. I, I think by the end of things, it. I I think the part that's probably true. Uh, based on people I've talked to throughout the process, is that D'Antoni was probably the more likely guy to get it. And if uh, Doc Rivers hadn't become available, I think D'Antoni probably would have gotten the nod. But I I don't know that there was a a dramatic split between ownership and Alton Brand. Now, you know, uh, that's not me saying that I'm not going to go so far as to say that uh, Jason's report is outright false. Uh, as always with this stuff, there's there's truth in in every report that you hear, even the ones that seem ridiculous. But uh, that's a gray area for me. Yeah, to me, we could just finish up real quick. Is that uh, kind of signifies dysfunction, and that type of dysfunction would not surprise me uh, with this Sixers organization slash franchise, however you want to call it. So we can move on to the more x's and o's on court locker room aspects if you would like to do so yeah well and i will say like you always part of the problem here seamus is that a report like that even if it was somebody and jason is a solid reporter so i'm not saying that he was doing this even if somebody was just maliciously making stuff up the sixers prior reputation and some of the things that have dogged them over the years doesn't give them a lot of benefit of the doubt publicly. So I understand why if reports come out about them that make them look bad, that people are inclined to believe it. So we'll leave that there. But look, I get it. And anytime something like that comes up, we obviously have to talk about it and try to get to the bottom of it. Um, so as it, as it relates to X's and O's, I think that I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe Doc Rivers as a tactician. I think the way the the way I settled on this over the last few days, as I thought about it and you know watched clips and, and did some digging uh, as preparation for in case he was hired. I think Doc Rivers is a guy that generally can build you a pretty strong plan a like if you look at the regular season 
results of his teams in the regular season efficiency on offense and defense for his teams generally they're pretty strong now some of that just happens to be that you know he's got a lot of talent that this past season having Kawhi Leonard Paul George strong bench led by Lou Williams Montrez Harrell before that it's the Lob City guys with you know Chris Paul at his peak with Blake Griffin and another lob threat and DeAndre Jordan that's kind of a like no doubt top rated offense and then before that the defensive defensive success he had in Boston is like you know Kevin Garnett's an all-time defender they're running a lot of Tom Thibodeau schemes as he's an assistant under him so on and so forth but Doc Rivers is the connective tissue through all of that and he's a guy that is not necessarily married to one particular style he's okay with borrowing from other people and leaning on his assistants and trying to make the most out of the personnel he has which is obviously something that we've talked about a lot as a problem under Brett Brown Seamus that that's what people wanted him to do more and so I I think actually there was a quote from Rivers if it wasn't during the bubble playoffs it was at some point during the restart I believe he said at some point that he had dusted off plays in his playbook for Kawhi Leonard to use in like the the mid-range area where you know a lot of people have abandoned but Kawhi is elite at so he can get away with it that Doc Rivers dusted off plays that he hadn't used since he coached uh, Paul Pierce in Boston in like 2012 so he's someone that's like he will go back into the vault and dig stuff up he's also not going to keep stuff in the playbook if it's not benefiting the guys that he has at his disposal. And I think where you saw that the most is when he didn't have these star-studded teams in LA. He had that like those buffer years where, you know, they had traded CP3, they eventually traded Blake Griffin and then Tobias Harris ends up in LA and you know those teams with Lou Williams as like the best offensive player on that team, those teams were competitive and they pushed the Warriors in the first round and Doc did a really good job. Uh, of making something, I don't want to say out of nothing, but out of less. So, yeah, that was one of his you know, three or so best coaching performances ever, I would say, along with the obvious 2008 Celtics title team. The 2012 Celtics team was uh, way better than they should have been. And I think that gives a lot of credit to Doc, especially the way they played LeBron early in that Eastern Conference Finals. And that team, uh, I would put third as uh, a team that exceeded expectations, and a lot of that had to do with with Rivers. Yeah. And so I think ultimately what you're looking at, I think the problems with Doc are, you know, further down the line when you get to the playoffs. I think he does share traits with Brett Brown in terms of his stubbornness. Yes. And, you know, people people that got mad about Neto playing in the playoffs and like, why is he doing this? Why is he still in the game? How has Brett not done this? That is... Doc Rivers that Doc Rivers does that a lot they're like Montrez Harrell was the guy for the Clippers in the playoffs that he essentially was getting played off the floor every single time he was in the game against the Nuggets in the second round but he was not actually getting played off the floor because Doc refused to sub in Zubach to take a lot of his minutes and it was to the detriment of the Clippers. And so, you know, Doc is a guy that he believes very strongly 
when he establishes a plan A and a and a rotation and you know lineup combinations, he doesn't like to deviate from it a lot. And, and so if he figures out a plan A that works, if he's able to get all this talent in sync and, and you know mash these pieces together in a a cohesive style, I think this team can be really good under him. I'm you know, I'm skeptical that that's possible because what of what we've seen, not just last year, but in years past, Seamus. And then I would be even further concerned that he can make the right uh, adjustments that matter when it come, when push comes to shove. I think the one thing that'll be on every Sixers fan's mind as it, become, as it pertains to Doc here now is what does it mean for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? I think it's great for Joel. I'm a little less bullish with Ben, but I still think, like, again, we talked about this the other day, Seamus. Doesn't a lot of this hinge on how coachable Ben is and how willing he is to transition to different roles it was the it's that's always been the question right that's been the the thing that needed the change for three years i don't necessarily need change but just needed to be put into motion might be a better way of saying it yeah so we we talked about this more with d'antoni where we said hey look if ben is willing to be you know supercharged sean marion then he makes all the sense in the world in a mike d'antoni offense well if Ben Simmons is willing to be more of a Blake Griffin type player where, you know, he's getting downhill and number one, they have to find a guard who can Austin run Rivers, the high come on down. And, I just saw, do I just saw Austin Rivers uh, in Rittenhouse Square eating a fucking donut. 5,000 <laughs> retreats. Oh my, yeah. Just, just to be clear, that's a joke that Seamus is making yeah, based on people's insane tweets. Um, but if Ben is willing to buy into doing that stuff on a more full-time basis, I think he's going to be really successful. And I think Doc has shown, and he showed this early in those uh, Lob City Clipper days, you know, before he got there, and Doc certainly likes to run a lot of high pick and roll in early offense. That's, you know, he's not a stranger to that any more than any modern NBA coach is. But when he arrived in L.A., it went from, you know, before he got there, it's a lot of stagnant, isolation-based offense. And you saw the Clippers devolve into more of that with Kawhi because that's what Kawhi likes to do. But there was a lot more movement and second screens and weak side action in the early days of the Lob City Clippers. And so if he can get Joel and Ben to buy into that stuff and, you know, Obviously, easier said than done, but if Joel actually gives a shit as a screener and he can un- unleash him in that way, and that makes light like you don't necessarily have to go out and get the best guards in the world if you that can would help, though. Separ- right. Obviously, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm they need better guards, but if you can get more out of Joel as a screener to free up space for guys like Shake Milton. It puts less pressure to make like the absolute perfect move uh, at the front office level. So, you know, I I guess where I would be concerned is when you look at the Clippers team last year, 
or the season that's still ongoing, but last year as it relates to the Sixers. Uh, they didn't really have a defensive identity, and I would be worried that uh, I don't know what Doc is going to do with these guys. They should be able to have an elite defense pretty much no matter what. I They were just below that area this year, although they should have been way closer to the, the teams at the top than they actually were. But when you have a team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and you can't build a better playoff defense or at least like a, a cohesive playoff defense that that scares me a little bit i'd be intrigued to, to see as who becomes an assistant for the sixers now i'd love sam cassell here but there's a chance he maybe becomes the what the number one assistant or ty Lue in la or something yeah so i was told speaking of i, mm, I didn't little didn't nuggets publicly, on the pod i didn't publicly report this because it kind of goes without saying but i was told that uh, Doc has uh, pretty much full say over or full authority to fill out his staff. So I don't know. So he's not Doug Peterson. To... No, yeah, I don't know who might get held over from the previous staff. There are some well-regarded guys on the bench already, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly Doc, with all his connections and experience in the league, if he reaches out to people. I'm sure that they could draw some, some you know, as big as assistant coaches' names get. And I, I think, you know, it's something that couldn't really happen so much under Brown because, you know, he's probably concerned about his job security. When you hire someone like Doc, you can bring in, like, coaches that are in the waiting without people without doc's not gonna be looking over his shoulder right like he's the guy here he's going to be the guy moving forward and so he's not going to feel uh self-conscious about oh if i hire this guy am i you know digging my own grave to an extent so i think that gives them a little bit of an advantage if ownership is willing to pony up money to bring in some top assistants which you know always an open question uh, that could be a potential competitive advantage that they might have now. Would love Sam Cassell, as I said. I love the kind of recent ex-players trend. I think that works on a lot of levels that, especially where you're seeing ex-players that are predominantly black, where I feel like they might be getting overlooked for a lot of coaching positions to begin with. We see that, you know, it's taken Ty Lue as a championship coach now to get a, it looks like he'll be getting a head coaching job now with the Clippers. Uh, but seeing someone like Sam Cassell or even Nick Van Exel, who was a previously an assistant uh, early in Giannis's career with uh, Milwaukee, is now uh, in Memphis. He's someone who would be cool to have on the staff. This isn't like a super important thing, but just an aside of uh, I think t- Doc has had throughout his career dating back to Boston, where uh, Tom Thibodeau was his de facto defensive coordinator on that championship right. Celtics team. Uh, the doc has definitely maintained a strong uh, cast of supporting and assistant coaches, uh, including recent and ex-players. So that's something that I think should be a positive to Sixers fans, getting young, new blood into the coaching ranks, having players that are younger and more relatable, uh, having coaches that are younger and more relatable to the players themselves too, I think is huge and an underlooked factor in the coaching hiring process. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a coaching staff is only as good as the lead guy 
allows it to be. And, you know, it, this is one of the big perks to me of getting a guy like Doc Rivers. People want to work with him. It's the same thing as we see with, you know, the players that love him so much. I don't think you've ever heard an assistant coach say a bad word about Doc Rivers. They all, including Ty Lu, I think we had this discussion the other day, Seamus, has said even if he had taken the Lakers job, that he still would have leaned on Doc for advice as a head coach. And that, to me, speaks to who Doc is as a leader, how his peers see him. So, you know, I again, I don't know who they would be able to draw here and, and whether ownership is willing to pay because they're going to pay a premium to hire Doc Rivers, I can tell you that. Five-year deal, much they said. More we didn't, we didn't five-year contract. I don't know what the, the money is on that yet. Um, but at the end of the day, they have a guy who's going to be able to attract talent in the coaching ranks, which for a, a market, as we've discussed, Seamus, that is never going to be you know, L.A., Miami, even like New York when it comes to drawing uh, big name free agents. If you can win on the margins with your coaching staff and you can bring in guys who maybe fill in the gaps, guys and girls, I should say, who fill in the gaps and, you know, make life easier for Doc that's a big win if they can somehow manage that. So that would be somewhere where I'm pretty bullish that, you know, they can be towards the front of the pack in the league, in the coaching department, even if I don't think that Doc himself is like a one top tier coach. Yeah. I think the intangible factor is what's huge here with Doc. Yeah. And I will say too, because you know we've dunked on the front office and ownership some and, and rightfully so i'm not trying to dismiss that feeling that is very prevalent amongst the fan base but and, and i've said this in previous podcasts like being able to basically have their pick of the three biggest names that were on the coaching market speaks to at least the reputation that the organization has among the like front office and coaching types right like the all the coaches were if they had offered the job to mike d'antoni he wasn't turning it down i think if they offered the job to Ty Lu, he wasn't turning it down doc they came to an agreement with within four days so you know as much as they have a problem perhaps as it relates to players and all that and you know i don't think that that's going to be overcome regardless of who the front office and ownership is. Philadelphia is just not a basketball free agent hotbed. I, I don't foresee that changing in the near future. And, and the, these are the wins you need to have. It, it needs to be an organization that's built around strong drafting and, and strong management in the front office, which, you know, obviously there have been some issues with the front office, but they have a good scouting department for the most part. Uh, they need to have good coaches strong leadership at the coaching position they fix that and they need to be a team that develops talent and i i think maybe that's probably seamus one of the biggest question marks here doc is certainly known as like a, a veteran whisperer that can get guys to buy in and be part of a cohesive vision do we think that he can push not just ben and joel to the next level but 
you know, the Shake Miltons, the Furcons of the world, or are some of those guys going to just end up being cannon fodder? Yeah, I had this thought earlier in the, pod, the podcast. I didn't want to necessarily jump in with it. It's kind of a, you know, our third or fourth tier feeling or concern or question. Uh, Shake Milton, could he be under Doc's tutelage uh, the way we've seen him previously with uh, even Nate Robinson in Boston, uh, Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams in L.A.? Could he be a guy in that mold, maybe a six-man-of-the-year contender in the next year or two? That's a guy uh, I think of right away who could, uh, besides the obviousness of Ben and Joel and Tobias, who probably had the most success in his career playing with Doc uh, in the 2018-2019 season, uh, he's a player that jumps out to me that could stand to gain a lot uh, from Doc being here, unless you know Austin Rivers comes here and takes all his touches. <laughs> So I would say it's more it's more likely that you're going to see someone like Tobias back into a role that you know he was clearly more comfortable in in LA. I think Doc has certainly figured out how to get the most of him. If I were a young guy, I would be very worried on that roster right now. Not because I think Doc is coming in, you know, swinging his dick around saying, you know, trade everybody or anything like that, but historically He's been a guy that favors proven veterans. Certainly, that's how he, you know, built the team when he had uh, control of things in the Clippers front office. And, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but, you know, for example, I don't, I, I think Zaire Smith is as good as done in, in Philly. I mean, wasn't he anyway? Like, yeah, like, I, you don't bring in someone like Doc Rivers and then spend half the season trying to figure out if if a kid who has barely played NBA basketball over his first two years is going to figure it out. Like th- Those are just not the sort of problems that you hire Doc Rivers to figure out. That, that's no disrespect to either Doc or Zaire, but I, I think that's like those are the guys that you, know, you might want to start you should be hard at work in the offseason anyway, but you might want to start preparing yourself for a different situation. I'll say that. I, I just I don't think there's going to be a super clear path to playing time beyond, you know, whatever the set rotation ends up being. I think you will see guys like like Alec Burks, I think, could really thrive under Doc if they manage to keep him. I'm sure if Glenn Robinson the third stuck around Guys like that that you know are more established NBA guys that he feels like he can trust. I think those guys will benefit. Anybody else? Like I, I don't know that even Shake is About there. Yet. It could go that way, and maybe he becomes an integral part of this team moving forward. But you know there are so many changes on the horizon that uh, I'm I'm not confident making any big bold proclamations just yet. What about Thibel? Thibel, I think, is pretty safe and would have been pretty safe regardless just because he defends. I think any young player that has already shown in their rookie year, not only that they're willing to defend, but they're able to defend high-level players, that's a guy that's no doubt going to be in the rotation. I do think there's a chance that someone like Thibel might have a shorter leash, but... I also don't know. It's hard to say. It's not like the off season's over and we know what the roster looks like. Like if they make 
several trades here, which is still on the table, despite the fact that I think uh, Doc Rivers is an Al Horford fan and has publicly proclaimed as much. So we'll see how that situation shakes out. Uh, depending on how the, the trades go, we're, we're going to see. So that's uh, it's probably, I don't know how much more we can say about the, the hire at, at this point, but I, I think it's fair to say, Seamus, that both of us are, you know, relatively on board with it. think he's a strong leader with certainly some prominent cons to his profile too, but uh, that ultimately they're probably in a better position now than they were when uh, they fired Brett. Definitely. Um, any last thoughts, buddy? No. Uh, first, I'm not saying this is. I'm cautiously optimistic about the hire. I'm happy about it. It's a, you know, a silver lining and a large process of terrible Sixers decisions. So. I will be happy about it for the next 48 hours, and then I will start getting pissy again. <laughs> right back until Doc does his uh, first availability with the media, and yeah. he says one thing wrong, and then the I'm sky out. is falling. Then I'm out. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you guys are you know, staying safe, staying healthy. Staying sane above all else after all the, the craziness, not just in the Sixers world, but everywhere else these days. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, leave some five-star ratings and reviews, and uh, Seamus, I will talk to you very soon, I'm sure. Peace.